Thank you, Vincent. That was your first time singing here, wasn't it? Thank you. Special welcome to anyone that's listening on WYAW 93.5, where you are welcome. Well, I have some bad news for us. Everybody grows old. It happens. There's no stopping it. All living things grow old. Everything put together, sooner or later, falls apart. I was in the locker room at the, uh, the gym once, not here, but uh, years ago. And if you go to the gym around 7 or 8 in the morning, there's usually a group of older guys. And when I say older guys, I mean they're older than me. And uh, you get some interesting conversations among the older guys who are typically retired. So I went into the locker room and there were seven or eight of them in various stages of showering and stuff where I just have to look away from all of it. And they're talking and dressing and so on. And I hear one old, older guy complain and he says, nothing's made like it used to be. I've had these swim trunks 10 or 11 years and now they're falling apart. And I thought he was kidding. And then I realized he was serious. And first of all, I thought, who calls them swim trunks anymore? It's swimsuit, as I recall. And I thought, I wanted to turn to him and say, dude, if you've had these swim trunks for 10 or 11 years, consider that money well spent. You know, it's not just things that fall apart. It's people that fall apart. It's human beings. We are mortal. We are corruptible, meaning we fall apart. We wax old, as the Bible says. Young folks here, I know you don't believe me. I know you think that somehow you're going to beat this curve of getting old. I know you somehow think you're going to beat this curve and you're going to live forever. Your hair is not going to turn gray. You're not going to put on any, any weight. You're going, to be, you're going to have it all the time. You know, you think that you're somehow going to beat it. You're never going to change. You're never going to fade. You look at an old person like I used to and you go, oh, I'm never going to let that happen to me. I'm never going to dress like that. If I ever wear clothes like that, just take me out and shoot me. I'm never going to hunch over. I'm never going to get gray hair. I'm never going to this. I'm always going to that. But you know, there are changes that happen. And I know what you're thinking. Nothing could ever change you, Pastor. You're the best. I know that that's what you're thinking, but even I got some glasses a week ago. And as you can tell, I can't see a thing when I'm wearing them. Because they're now called progressive lenses. They used to be called trifocals. I think I have two, two fingers, yes. They used to be called trifocals, but now they're called progressive, meaning I have three different things going on in here. It's like my own private disco ball. I can look down on my notes, I can look halfway, and then for you, most of you, I've got to look at the top. You know how hard that is? That's what happens when you get old. Everything put together sooner or later falls apart. If my life chronologically was a roller coaster, 
You know, it starts out the teens, and then I'm, I'm swinging it, I'm 20, I'm 30, I'm 40. Yeah, that's right, I'm here, I'm an adult, I got it. And then all at once you see I'm on the downward curve of the roller coaster. Now I'm screaming down What's that all about, Chris? I had, I had a beautiful moment prepared there. <clears throat> Meanwhile, I say to myself, you're not old. You, you're still rocking it. Fifteen years away from you, that's old. You still got it. Dude, you got it. Meanwhile, I'm getting to bed at 9.30 where I'm wearing my jam jams and I'm uh, wearing retainers because I grind my teeth at night. <laughs> Didn't you like that line about the jam jams? I thought that was good. But you see, it wasn't always like that. Because God created a perfect world. God created a world without decay, without mortality, without brokenness, without glasses, and without swim trunks falling apart after 10 years. The world has turned, and a process of decay now happens. It all goes back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. Now today we are going to continue this Empowered Living series, this series demonstrates that not only that the Bible has perspective for us, but it also has power for us. You can read this book and gain lots of information. You can know lots of things, but not only does it give you perspective, but it can give you power. It's a contemporary book for living today. At least that's the way I believe. And so today we're going to examine this doctrinal belief, this, this thought about creation, the belief that God created this world just as the Bible says, that we're not the result of random chance, we're not the result of some sort of evolution, but we are a product of a living God. The book Genesis, it's actually the first word in the Bible, in Hebrew. A lot of the Hebrew books, the Old Testament books, are named after the very first word in the book. And in the very first word in the book, Genesis, but in Hebrew, the word means in the beginning. And so that's why it's called Genesis, because of the first words. In the beginning. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a profound statement for a book to say at the very beginning. Now, some say that the the world was a result of a Big Bang theory. Some say that it was just a bunch of chemicals and gases produced an explosion and, and boom, everything just appeared in some sort of uh, order and all of these solar systems were created. Other people say that life is millions of years old and no one really knows how it came to be. To be honest with you, the creation-evolution debate has never really interested me. That's not one of my passions. Maybe I'm too dumb for this scientific kind of argument because, you see, I cannot prove creation. I cannot put it in a test tube and say, there. I can say that's what I believe. I can say that there's evidence that shows that around the world. I can say that this book teaches it. And people that have evolution can show me dinosaur bones and say, therefore, these are millions of years old. But it's all based on the assumptions that you make with the evidence that you see. There's data, and people interpret the data 
to basically back up what they already believe. You can believe something, though, and you can still have doubts about it. It's okay to not fully understand something and yet to say, well, this is what I believe. I don't believe every, I mean, I don't understand every single thing about it, but this is what I believe. I cannot understand how a God created all of this, but I can still believe that God created this. Having doubts about something, not understanding something completely doesn't mean that you can't believe it. As Billy Graham once said, I don't know how a brown cow can eat green grass and make white milk, but I still drink milk. The Bible says, in the beginning, God. The Bible assumes and never argues the point. And although everything has had a beginning, God does not have a beginning. God is. And that's why he said to Moses, when Moses said, who should I say has sent me? He said, tell them I am. Because God exists in the present. There is no past or future in the sense of God's existence. He just has been and is and will be. God existed before us, before this country, even believe it or not, before this world. God is eternal, has no beginning and no end. And the Godhead, which consists of the Father, the eternal Father, the eternal Son, and the eternal Holy Spirit, has lived together in perfect union and purpose for all of eternity. Secondly, it says that God created. Now this word created, it's a very interesting word. And, and using interlinears and Strong's Concordance and tools that you can find on the internet now, they can be your best friend to back up your beliefs. If you look up that word created that's used in Genesis chapter 1, you will find that this word means create, there you go, shape or form or fashion to make something. But the, the interesting part is that word is only used when God is the subject this is like the divine creating action word. God created. That word created is only used with God as the subject. When God chooses to enlarge His creation, it can be about heaven, it can be about earth, it could be about an individual, it could be about circumstances, it could be about change, but this God creating is an act that only a divine God can do, and it's a unique creation that comes out of nothing. God creates out of nothing. Now you and I can create things, there's no doubt about that. We can create songs, we can create tables, we can create books, we can create problems, we can create messes, we can create clear pulpits, we can create microphones to pick up sound and amplify it, we can create trifocal glasses. People can create, these are all things that are created from paper or brick or or stuff, but God creates from nothing. We create from something. God creates from nothing. In Latin, if you want to throw around some fancy words, those words are ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God creates. That's why it says that the earth was formless and void. It was empty. God created out of nothing. He didn't need stuff. 
The universe was not some huge VBS craft project that God took on for himself. God didn't need glue and popsicle sticks and, and glitter and some dirt. God just created. He didn't need anything but himself. Eight times in Genesis it says that God created. God said, and it was. Verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, 14, 20, 24, and 26. It says, and God said. He spoke. And that's enough. God's not dependent on architects, builders, general contractors, plumbers, painters, pipe fitters, landscapers, roofers, drywallers, spacklers, sheet metalers, carpenters. Or anything else that someone who doesn't know anything about construction like me could think of? God spoke. That's why I had Miss Dory read those verses which say, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of His mouth. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Genesis 1, the great God created with a word that's only used for Him. The high and holy one. The awesome God of the universe. He's high and lifted up. He's above us. He's separate from us. He's distant from us. Genesis 1 shows us God's power and God's omnipotence and His ability to speak and to create things out of nothing. But then there's Genesis 2. And Genesis 2 shows us another side of God's character. Did you ever wonder why Genesis 1 essentially repeats parts of the creation story? It's because there's using different words. There's a different focus on the creation of Adam and Eve in that one. So look in Genesis 2. Is it all right if I read my Bible in church? Genesis 2, chapter... I already said that. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, Then the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So right there, that identifies Sabbath as a memorial of God's creative work. Verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work on the ground, and a mist was coming up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then, the, here's, here's the good part, fasten your seatbelts. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden of Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So in Genesis 1, you have this word that it's a divine creative word, God is distant and God speaks and things are created. And then in Genesis 2, it's a totally different thing. A personal God stoops down and forms Adam out of dust. And the word that's used for formed or fashioned is a word that's used to describe the work of a potter. 
It's someone that takes his creation in his own hands and makes something with it. It's used in Isaiah 45. It's used in Isaiah or Jeremiah 16 where it says, Can I not do with you as this potter does? That's God speaking. Declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. That echoes back to Genesis chapter 2 where it says that God literally got down and took some dust and He formed this dust. Now how can God make a man out of dust? That's the part I don't understand. But that doesn't mean that it didn't happen just because I don't understand it. He formed a man out of dust and He breathed into this man life. Until He breathed into that man, all He was was a physical specimen. So when you take something physical, in this case it's a man who originally was dust, and then you breathe, God breathes this life into that man, then that man or that woman or that animal becomes a living creature. Somebody better said amen. Because that's the story of how life happens. Now the word living when Adam became a living man. That same word living, it's not a special word used for people. That word is used for all living objects. For the cow. For the man. For the dog. For the parakeet. If there were parakeets in the Bible describing them being alive, they would use this word. Ecclesiastes says, 3, 3.19 says that all beings have life. So what different differentiates the man and the woman from the cow, from the dog, from the parakeet. It's not that we are alive that's unique. It's that we were made in the image of God that's unique. You guys are a little bit, does somebody need some Cheerios? Do we need to pass around Cheerios or Wheaties or Monster Energy drinks or run a couple laps around the gym. Chappie, do I need you to come up here and do some... Come on now, church. Thank you. So you don't know what I have in this mug. Could be double espresso. But it's not. You see, what is unique... I'm going to repeat that line and give you guys a chance to redeem yourself. What is unique about us is not that we are alive, but that we were made in the image of God. Ah. I am created. You are created in the image of God with the power to think and the power to do and the power to make choices and the power to serve out of a higher motive in your heart. We are not like the lion who all day attempts to just eat and to sleep and to procreate. We can have higher goals. We can choose to not do this because we choose to do that. We're not, we're not controlled by our, our lusts and our desires and our selfishness. I am created to love and to do. I am created for relationships with others just as the, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit were all there at creation and said, let us make man in our image, plural. He makes us. To be like Him. Not to be Him, but to be like Him. To be filled. We were created to be stewards of this world. And all that He has given us, He gave us dominion. Not to punish, but to serve. 
But the greatest work of creation is the work of re-creation. God takes human beings after sin entered the world, and that's what will be the subject of next week's sermon. What happened to this perfect world? How did sin happen? But God takes these human beings, you and me, made in His image, who were broken and bent and sullied and soiled from years of separation from His holiness, and He reaches out again to us to reconnect us to Him. If we fell from grace as a people by the trespass of one man, what Romans calls the first Adam, then we received a renewed and a holy nature from Christ, which Romans calls the second Adam. It is God's plan not just to forgive you, church, but to restore you. To recreate in you. So Romans 5 can say, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's the new covenant. Not that the law is out there on tablets, but that the law is written on your heart. It's not a new covenant. It's a renewed covenant. It's inside now. So you do things from a, a motive from the inside, not from the outside. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. Yes, you're flesh and blood. Yes, you will make mistakes. But you are the crown of creation. You are God's achievement. We may choose now, because we have choice, because we're made in God's image, we may choose to live following this new heart and not the old. There's a battle going on between the two natures, which the Bible describes as the flesh versus the spirit, or the law versus the, le the letter of the law versus the spirit of the flesh or the carnal nature and the, the, the godly nature. There is a battle. And whichever nature you're feeding is the nature that will win. You see, but there is a deception that exists. And this deception, you can even hear it in the church. It says, you are sinful. You are no good. And that halts us from rejoicing in the free gift of salvation that Christ offers us, and we begin to doubt our identity. And if you think that you are sinful and no good, then the choices you make will reflect what you think of yourself. That you're sinful, that you're weak, that you're lost. And when you, when you believe that you're lost, then you will doubt that you could be found. What if we heard instead of being sinful and evil and you can't trust anything you're thinking, what if we heard that we were sons and daughters of the King? Wouldn't we then act with royal bearing and carry ourselves like we were royalty? All this groveling and putting ourselves down that people do, it's really just shame masquerading as humility. Shame says, I'm, I'm nothing to look at. I'm not capable of any goodness. I'm a sinful human being. Where humility says, I bear the impression of the glory of God. It is not my glory. It is the Father shining through me. And it is by grace that I will stand. 
You see, humility doesn't take it for yourself. It realizes that it's all from God and that God gives it to you. And so why wouldn't you live reflecting the glory of your Father? You see, our salvation story began when we were made in the image of God. Now, the image was marred by sin, but remember that your story, the story of human beings, does not begin in Genesis 3 with the fall and with sin. Your story as God's child begins in Genesis 1 when it says you were made in His image. That means that your story begins with the original glory that God has planned for His people. And if you go all the way back to Revelation 22, you will see that God's story ends with the original glory restored. Romans 8.30 says that those He justified, He also glorified. And so the life that you and I live is about being transformed. It's about being changed day by day. It's about living the image of God within us. God is bringing you fully alive because the glory of God is you and me, fully alive. When you are fully the best you that you can be by the grace of God, you bring God glory. We were born to manifest the glory of God from within us. And as Colossians 1 says, it is Christ in you which is the hope of glory. See, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. It's that we might start living with all of our strength. It's our light which scares us sometimes. The light that we are God's children and that we could do great things. It's easier to make excuses and to stumble along day after day and to just say, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. But what if we lived like we were children of the King and knew that every day was a chance to reveal and rejoice in the glory of God. To choose life. To lay aside those petty differences that we have to actually care about people, to have high expectations for yourself, and to have empathy for other people. Maybe creating the world wasn't that big a deal to God. I mean, He spoke and it happened. He took, he took nothing and He made something. But it would be a pretty big deal for you and I if we could make something out of nothing. I took shop class when I was in high school, I made a napkin holder, which was two pieces of wood up and one piece of wood at the bottom. I felt pretty proud of myself that I made a napkin holder. I don't remember what kind of grade I got. I got a new printer this week, and I hooked that up, and I installed the drivers in it. I felt like I was, you know, Bill Gates or somebody. $60 printer, and they don't make them that expensive. You know, I know you're very quite envious of me with my $60 Sam's Club. You can come look at it. I'll set up appointments if you want to stop by. It's an Epson, but I don't like to brag. You see, but for a human being to be recreated is a greater miracle because it takes an act of the will on our part. You have to allow God in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in and I will sit and I will dine with him. So it took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. To be recreated, 
That's the greatest miracle of all. To open up your heart, your sinful heart, to God and then say, make me again in your image. Work in me to be what you want me to be. Take all that I am. Take all my brokenness. Take all of my mistakes and use them to your honor and glory. Re-glue me back together. I can't change my past, but I can change my future by going forward with God as my Savior. With God as my leader, God has placed His image in us. And that image has been marred by sin, by bad decisions, by years of being distant from God, but the image is still there. We're still the, the children of God. And as a good father, God will never leave us. But you're not alone. We live in an imperfect world. It's not easy. It can be painful at times. I want to demonstrate that now with my young friend, Mr. Carlos Orozco. Amigo. Can you say hi, Carlos? He kind of knows what I'm going to do, so it takes a lot of courage to come up here and use sharp tools when you're not real sure what the person's going to do. Carlos is going to start making something, and I'm going to hopefully talk for as long as it takes for him to make it. You see, our lives are a lot like wood. I don't mean you're a blockhead. But then again, if the uh, wood fits, wear it. Now imagine that you are wood, or you're metal, or you can be, you know, some of you are metal heads, I know, you're, you like Metallica. Some of those rock groups like ABBA, or Carpenters. Karen Carpenter was into heavy metal. But sometimes you're in life, God takes you and He saws at you. And He's cutting away bad parts of your character. Like let's say you, you, know, you got some bad habits, you got a terrible temper, and you yell at everybody. Oh, you might go back later and apologize. But you call them names, you call your wife an idiot, or you tell people, your children, why don't you shut up? Or you backhand your kids, or something like that. Or you yell at your coworkers, or you're stealing post-it notes from work, or whatever, you're looking at porn on the internet. Whatever it is, you've got these habits. And God's working on you. And sometimes when God works on you, it can be quite... Emmanuel, you want to be with your dad? Put his hand out there and saw. I don't blame you, young man. That was a terrible thing. So when God works on you, it can, be, it can hurt. And you could have been one way, but then He changes you, and now you look another way. I told you it was going to take longer than you thought, Carlos. When you place your material, your, your blockhead, in the presence of God. And you say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Now, he's going to work up a good sweat, aren't you? Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? When God does things, like Melissa was describing in her story, there's this moment where your life, you're shocked by the things that can happen. 
And so, you know, I'm kind of a clean freak. So I brought along my little thing to, if you don't mind, Carlos, I'm just going to clean as we go. You guys don't mind, do you? $20 an hour, I'll come to your house. And sometimes God drills, and sometimes He hammers, and sometimes things are quiet, and sometimes He sands. And just when you feel that there's been too much sanding and pounding and sawing going on in your life, and that you couldn't possibly take any more, We didn't practice this. You're a good man, Carlos. How many people think Carlos is a good man? Beautiful. And you know, when I asked him to do this, he says, well, I'm actually a mechanic. <laughs> so if you want your car fixed, especially if it's a Toyota, that's what he does. But he was brave enough to do this. Because I don't think I've ever, well, Carlos is involved in um, Pathfinders, so he's up front a lot in Pathfinders. But I wanted to get somebody up here I don't think had ever been up here. Have you ever been up here, Carlos, in church? No. No, but you see... That's what God does. God sands, God nails, God drives. God is taking something of your life. So you might have something going on in your life that is quite painful to you. And you wish it would stop. Or maybe you don't know the direction to go. And you're overwhelmed with the things around you. You might feel like you're trapped in your own life. You might feel like there's no way out. You might feel like God could never take you and do anything good with you. The people around you don't seem to understand you. Or you're trying to make choices that will make you a better person and the people around you are trying to hold you back to be the person that you always have been and you're wondering why they don't accept the new you to be who you are. Ready? And then when God is working on you, and he hammers and he saws, sometimes when he takes your life and he raises it up, he's glorified and not you. Thank you, my brother. And now, if you don't mind, and so, ladies and gentlemen, That was purely just for fun. I didn't have to do that. Thank you.
Sometimes it hurts when God does his work in you. The hammering, the sawing, the nailing. It's painful. And you know what? There's no, there's no turning back. When you have given your life into God's hands, he will change you. He's not going to leave you as he found you because he loves you too much. He, he does not love you any more for being away from him. He does not love you any less. But when you come to him, then he's going to make you into the man or the woman you should be. And in the end, he'll be glorified. So I'll leave you with this verse. Be confident of this. Philippians 1.6 that he that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you. They sang that song because I wanted them. That was a tough song to leave, but I appreciate you guys giving it uh, all you had. Because it does take a miracle. And that's what I want you to remember, that the miracle of God is that he loves you and he wants to recreate his image in you. Take your life and use it for him. Not for you, but for him. Submit yourself to him. Become a new creation in Christ. That's his love shining through. May that be your experience this week. That you sense his calling. You sense him wanting to be closer. Changing you. Making you all you can be. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for that miracle of recreation. I thank you for the miracle of creation that you spoke and it was, you commanded and it stood fast, and you bent down and you formed Adam out of dust and made him a living being created in your image. What a miracle that is. Father, bless us as we realize we are your children. May we live for you each day. May we be a blessing to others in your name as well, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.